0: You are,
1: listening. You, are listening.
0: you are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast.
1: You know, I get the, the good fortune to speak on the, There's a, a show that tours through the states called The Fly Fishing Show, mm-hmm. and I'm fortunate enough to be the sort of weird little late guy on the on the show circuit right so um i was and they have an author's booth so if you're an author um, they've got a little bookstore set up and you would sit at this table and it's a great as a speaker it's a great rest area because you're walking around all day long and your back's killing you and your feet are sore and your legs are throbbing so it's nice to sit down and i sat down with tom rosenbauer hmm. and uh, who's with orvis and um he you know and i'd had i'd filmed a couple of television shows with Tom. and got to know him, and, you know, it was good to see a friend and just catch up, and he talked about that community, and then he just says to me, he says, you know what, Phil? We need to do a Stillwater book, and I think you'd be the guy to do it. So that's great, that's flattering, and, but a lot of times it shows there's lots of discussions that take place, but never really right. amount to, You know, people take off and go the separate ways. And yeah. so anyway, it led to a phone call, which led to a contract, which led, led to me committing to something and then realizing, holy crap, this is a lot of work.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, I think the publisher was expecting around 75 to 80,000 words. And I gave him 110. <laughs>
2: hmm.
1: And close to 300 pictures and, and diagrams, and and you know, people with a book, there's there's boundaries. There's only so much cost a publisher's prepared to absorb on a right. on a flyer, if you will. Sure. Um, so I could have put way more pictures in it. I could probably have done more writing on it, but um, but I covered everything from. Um, you know, why you'd want to fish lakes, some of the benefits of fishing lakes. Uh, and then, take you know, talking about, because I see a lot in, like, seminars and talks and things like that of people who are laddering over from rivers and streams and, and want to sample this lake stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they don't want to walk up and down a river anymore. Maybe they're drawn to the, you know, generally, I always joke our fish in lakes are measured in pounds, not inches. Um, but it doesn't make them any smaller or bigger, but they're just a different weight scale.
3: Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all
0: things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine. The convenience of having flies delivered right to your door. Some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. TheFlyCrate.com.
3: Here's your host, Mark Hopley.
0: Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really glad you chose to join us tonight. And we are going to welcome again a return guest back to the show. We've got Phil Rowley on the show today. Now, Phil is a still water specialist, passionate fly fisher, teacher, guide, author, fly tire, video producer, YouTuber, online learning brand ambassador. And we're going to talk about the numerous books that Phil has out. He's got the uh, Fly Patterns for Stillwaters, Stillwater solutions recipes, Stillwater selections, and a new one uh, specifically targeted um, to Stillwater. We're going to chat all about that. The Orvis guide to Stillwater trout fishing. Uh, I'm running out of breath here, Phil. On your on your intro, and and hey, we haven't even talked about the app, the Stillwater fly fishing app, and also um, the Stillwater fly fishing academy with Jordan. So we got a lot of water to cover tonight.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize I kind of spread myself out so much
0: <laughs> I don't, i'm trying to want like how do you find time to fish <laughs>
1: uh i always you can always find time for that and, and thankfully i've been able to um roll my passion into my business so yeah it works out
0: hey thanks for doing this phil i, I really do appreciate it and i i, I want to take a few minutes to just kind of get to know you a little bit and and, and some of your background uh kind of beyond the water as well if you don't mind um i always like to start out and and, and kind of find out how you came to discover fly fishing so when when it all started for you the passion for all things fish uh, can you walk us through that a little bit
1: yeah i was well i was born in england uh liverpool and i started fishing over there when i was about i'm going to say six years old these are just fleeting memories um my mom and dad were Gracious enough to let me go out with the neighbor's kid down to the local park. I believe it was Sefton Park, and it was all coarse fishing there. Um, you know, carp was the sort of the pinnacle of the fish you could catch, but uh, tench and bream and roach and lots of other things. And you used to go down and get your maggots, and then uh, set up your your rod on a float, and you have a keep net, and you just catch what you do de- You caught and put it in the keep net and at the end of the day you, uh, dumped them all out So, um, hmm. and that's where I started and then we immigrated when I was 7 and for the first year in Canada I lived in Chilliwack so I remember my dad taking me out a couple of times um, to fish the Chilliwack River um, uh, you know uh, uh, upstream of uh, Vetter Crossing and I think he said it was the most traumatic experience he ever had because <laughs> I was what 8, 9 so I'm running all over log jams that can't support him and uh I have no conscience of <laughs> what the consequences could be, right? right. I don't think we caught anything. But my neighbor, um, who took us up, who sort of guided not guide, not guided us in the official sense, but took us up, um, was a fly fisher as I remember. And he caught a couple of trout and of course at that time in the late sixties everybody kept fish and I remember seeing them in the Wicker Creel. These are all just fleeting memories, right? Mm. And then after about a year in Chilliwack, my dad got a job uh, on Vancouver Island, so I grew up uh, in the Greater Victoria area uh, doing most of my growing. Well, I don't say growing up. Maybe I got older. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, in the Greater Victoria and, and Sydney area. And, you know, then I was sort of, there was a little bit of fresh water around, fishing beaver and elk lake for sunfish and bullhead catfish and things like that. Um, but a lot of time spent, you know, hanging around, Docks and, and throwing crab traps down and catching um, sculping bullhead. Um, mm. um, I'm probably gonna when I ever go to the great beyond. I'm probably gonna pay a lot of penance for what I did to poor bullhead to turn him into crab bait. But uh, <laughs> little kids do what little kids do, and right. you know. And then I think we came across an inflatable raft one day, and then that was able to get us out to this rocky marker that had kelp all around it, and we could catch. Uh, rock bass you know uh, black sea bass around there and uh, you know we'd spend our allowance on buzz bombs and we'd lose those in short order and have a plate of I think it was reese davies anchovies and we'd lose those and then tinfoil around a hook <laughs> and that. and And then learning what a goose barnacle can do to an inflatable raft and having to (laughs) row back like mad with a finger stuck in a hole. Oh, Oh, my mom If she ever listens to
2: this,
1: (laughs) oh, my God, I set him off. And, you know, back then you just went off and played, right? You mucked around, you know. I think as a parent nowadays, it's like, nope, you're not going anywhere without me. So, uh, did
0: you spend spend a lot of time on the island,
1: Phil? Yeah, I, I basically from, I would say, age eight to age nineteen when I in eighteen, nineteen when I graduated and then um at that time I wanted to be a pilot. So I was, you know, busy getting I got my pilot's license and then I got my commercial pilot's license and that's sort of where my career was trending and then the first recession hit of the early eighties and that really Hit airlines and it had a real domino effect on the aviation industry because they were laying off. So you got all these senior pilots now competing for what was almost entry-level jobs. So
2: hmm.
1: um, ended up just getting a job and regular corporate job and and uh, had moved over to Vancouver Island. Uh, sorry, moved over to Vancouver um, and um, was too poor to move back. <laughs> and just um, you know, soon after that, just as I, I met my wife Patsy, um, start you know, I was I was still conventional fishing at that time i must have been my i'd say 2021 20, mm-hmm. and uh started doing more of that and then got introduced to fly fishing from a friend i played pickup hockey with who was okay. always trying to get me out to fly fish and you know i didn't give it much of a of a thought thought yeah one day we'll do it and uh my wife and i i think on our uh, honeymoon we were over on vancouver island camping on cameron lake and watch this guy. I, I swear, as I look back, he was the epitome of Roderick Haig Brown. Hmm. It was kind of evening. You had rises everywhere. We'd been there a week and had one poor bedraggled trout to show for our efforts trolling. right? And the only reason I caught him is because he impaled himself on the flatfish I was dragging around with all his weight. and just decided I'd change <laughs> lures, and he happened to be there. <laughs> so I wasn't having much success. And I watched this guy come down yeah. in a space of an hour with a fly rod. Took... You know, caught a number of fish, took a couple home, had the wicker creel again, and just disappeared off into the mist. And a, a wow. little light switch went on. I so said, "I think there's something to this fly fishing."
0: That's cool. You wanted to hear yeah. something funny? You just <laughs> my, my our honeymoon, uh, my wife uh, Sue and myself. We were on the island. Uh, I think we were Tainemar or something, but we were up fishing Cameron Lake on our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not. Just when you said that, yeah. I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's a super deep lake." If I remember, yes.
1: Yeah with brown trout in it. And And cutties
0: uh, cutties or something in there, some type of Yeah, cutties and
1: browns, and, you know, it was a pretty, from a fishing perspective, it was a pretty crushing week because I remember going into the lodge, you know, I was at the desperation of, I remember we ran into Nanaimo, I was going to buy more tackle. It was something, you know, it was all about the lure or whatever. I didn't know really what I was doing at that time, and I remember seeing this picture of a little girl on the dock with a wiener and a stick, and she had this massive brown trout because her dad was fishing off the dock, and... I guess uh, she was pestering him, and he finally said, Here, here's a wiener and a stick, go fish. Right? She caught this <laughs> massive brown trout. It wow. said brown trout, she's standing there all proud as punch, wiener and a because it had all the you know, flatfish, Doc Spratley right. or whatever, wiener and a stick. I still remember that. <laughs>
0: yeah, hey, hey, whatever works.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, so, so I did go, I took my friend up on his offer, Yeah. went fly fishing, uh, fished the Skagit River, okay. and caught a fish on my first time out, and I had never experienced a fish on a fly rod, the fight of a fish on a fly rod, especially a trout. Hmm. And I was hooked. Like, that's all. The little the floodgates opened, and I just became overnight obsessed, and I'm, nothing's changed.
0: Well, I'm curious who you learn from. It sounds like, the, uh, you know, this fellow here, but then who? who yeah, Richard
1: Linden and his dad, Ted. Yeah. Um, learned from them initially um you know they helped me get my first fly rod gave me my rudimentary casting lessons you know Mm -hmm. so i was just flailing around and um took some night school classes i took a fly fishing class um by the hatch matchers club in the lower mainland and the gentleman running it was bill starr who i still to this day i've got to know because he was also a member of the osprey fly fishers who Mm. i joined Later on, that's how I furthered my knowledge, was I uh, joined a fly club. right? And ironically, uh, you know, the, you mentioned the books, three of the books I've written are all fly tying. When I first got into this, I wasn't so sure fly tying, I'm not so sure about that, right? You could just mm-hmm. buy them, right? But you soon came to realize that uh, fly tying is an important skill to learn, at least I think. And um, you know, I took another night school um, class from there. Um, in Coquitlam, and started tying flies, and then that, that to me, that rounds the whole thing, because even when you're not fishing, you're still fishing mentally, yeah, yeah. when you're at the vice and doing all that stuff, and then you start to create your own flies, and, and it just started taking off there, and I just tied a lot, and I, I guess some people thought I got semi-decent at it, mm-hmm. and then I actually started tying flies for Babcock Fly and Tackle when they first opened, Okay. and that's how I used to get my gear, was I used to tie flies for them, both for them, uh, Michael and Young, wow. uh, stores like that, and just, you know, tied. And I thought I would, you know, my niche would be dry flies. I didn't source this problem. I didn't do my due diligence on that hmm. endeavor because dry flies are, they were good for learning how to tie because they're proportionally demanding, but right. they're expensive to I mean, the right hackle. Um,
0: well, and time-consuming to too, right?
1: Yeah, and you used to go in and dump five dozen into a bin, and watch some guy buy a dozen, and you're like, "Hey, go buy some stronger tippet." <laughs> I just have to go back <laughs> home in time. I never got caught up. So, and then that led to um, doing some tying classes, and then that leads to, you know, making. I remember, you know, making an offer to be a fly tyre at the Ed Rice Sportsman Show in Seattle. Peter Parker was the fly tying theater director. Sadly, Peter's passed on, but uh, he gave me a shot. I had to send him some samples, and he gave me, I think, a Friday opening hour, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was first up, so I guess if something, if I fell on my face, it wouldn't scar the whole show. And you put your time in, and then fly tying led to, you know, persevering and getting a chance to speak on Stillwater subjects. And, and I just took the Stillwaters because, I guess for in British Columbia. It was, to me, it was... Accessible and affordable, as, a, as mm. opposed to, you know, going out on the ocean and all having a, have to have boats and, and you know driving up for steelhead fishing and sure. and and that just wasn't the, other than a Skagit and chasing cutthroat uh, up the Fraser Valley at the time. You know, it just wasn't a lot of just BC seems entrenched in that stillwater culture uh, for a lot of anglers, and I was no different.
0: It I find it interesting. Like, can I ask you? Does it kind of bother you that you're known mostly for Stillwater? Because I know you fish all over the world. You fish everything, every which way, but you definitely that's where you focused your attention. And yeah, it seems like talk to me about that because that was a big decision. Well, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't because you know. A I really enjoyed Stillwater fishing. It wasn't like I was having to, you know. Depth, you know, and there just wasn't the river and stream, so I got into that. And of course, my initial forays on lakes were nothing to write home about. It was frustrating. You know, it would you'd watch others catch fish, and you you seemed you know you just try to understand it because that lake is pretty. You know, it doesn't. I'm not saying rivers are easier, but you can certainly you they've got width and length, and and you can yeah. You know, understand how water flows a little bit. You know, if I was a fish, I wouldn't sit in all that white water necessarily. Although they can obviously do, you know, but um, I, I'd be lazy. And where would I sit? And it, it just. Yeah. But a lake is like, wow, can't even see the other side. <laughs> or uh, man, that's flat. There's no, there's no surface character to it, if you will. So especially so I just,
0: first time out too, and I don't know how big fish finders were when you started, but probably not as readily available as they are now.
1: They weren't. Yeah. And if you did use one, you were cheating. You were frowned upon. Yeah. I remember, and I've always been a little bit of an early adopter, so I was like, hmm, why would this hurt? So we used to hide them into our boats, right? Like, Don't make a, <laughs> you know, turn them off. And, and nowadays, so that's, what, 20, 25 years ago now? Um, nowadays, if you don't have a sounder when you're fishing a lake, you're you're you're, you're considered like, wow, yeah. <laughs> why, would, why would you want to do that?
0: Yeah, right? you're definitely at a disadvantage
1: because yeah, yeah. they do so many cool things. So, so that's sort of how I I, I did. Uh, and of course, at that time when you're trying to get in on the speaking circuit, you know, and and it's funny because I I look, you know, I still look up to these guys. But people like Gary Borger mm. and all these other um, Rick Haefley, Dave Hughes, um, you know, I looked up to, and I still do, of course, to all these guys um, and and gals who were doing these uh, presentations. And I just felt like, why would I want to be another you know, stick on the pile, to use a poor Ooh. metaphor, um, whereas, you know, there wasn't too many people talking about lakes, hardly any anybody, if anyone, was doing it, so it just sort of seemed the natural way to go, and now, you know, speak of those guys, I'm really good friends with Rick Hafley and Dave Hughes, and every time Gary Borger, I see him at a show or in the elevator on the way to somewhere, he's asking me how my wife and kids are doing, it's just yeah. kind of surreal, that's, right?
2: That's cool.
1: <laughs> um, because, I, you know, I followed, the, they were people I looked up to and, and bought all of their books. And
0: well, whenever studies. I see you at a show, everyone's talking to you. Hey, Phil, 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 where's Phil, where's Phil? <laughs> <laughs> and it seems, I mean, you're a very approachable person. Talk to me about the, the community of fly fishing at these shows, on these circuits, when you're doing these talks. Everyone seems it, so outgoing.
1: The, I think you have to be. You have to be outgoing. Um, you can't be too secretive. You know, and I've often been asked by some people who, you know, see it and would like to perhaps pursue it. And, you know, if you're secretive and not want to, you know, pass on knowledge or, um, or, you know, just don't have the time for questions, some of it's you just got to have, like you talked about, that outgoing personality. You're willing. I've had my wife ask me sometimes, how do you put up with some of the, you know, because some of the questions can be, um, you know repetitive yeah. and, and uh you know what fly to use is always one that internally sends me off the deep end because it's such a everybody <laughs> you know it, for me the fly is the ultimate scapegoat in fly fishing yeah because if the fly is not working there's only one other reason you're not catching fish and most of us aren't very good at that admitting that we're the problem <laughs> right now yeah, you and true. I've been married so we knew all about this for oh, yeah. long since so <laughs> we are the problem <laughs> um uh, but uh So, yeah, that's, but you just, and I enjoy talking. It's, you learn so much when I do schools and -hmm. and classes and and speak. And some of you ask a question or tell me of an experience they had that was positive, and they may not understand it. So, I can maybe perhaps some insight, some light on it, but I stick that in the back of my mind and go, there's a lesson there,
2: right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) As
1: to why they were. Um, having the success they were, despite their, you know, fish don't. You don't sit out in the boat with a resume underneath the hull. The fish come up. Well, okay, that guy seems qualified. I guess we better <laughs> eat his flies. Um, they, yeah. you know, they they just do what they do, and and uh, your status in the in the world has nothing to do with it. So,
0: how um, much of what you do is helping people cut through some of the learning curve, like make the learning curve shorter?
1: That's what I really try to do because i you know i don't have any degrees in biology or anything so i just studied you know i've read all those the textbooks and i've had to read pages six times over just to make sense of it right because it's mm-hmm. all in eight syllable words it seems right. um and try to take the you know the path the critical path if you will of to you know what's important to know and what's just you know as i joke if you you know i i really got addicted to the entomology side of things you know, I had aquariums uh, in my garage when I lived in Langley. I was as far as my wife would let them in the house because she knew what was what was hatching in February, right? <laughs> you know, I think I had house spiders the size of tarantulas in my garage. So, um, but it was a fascinating way to learn, right? And I, 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 I would just see things, and and that's where you learn to do macro photography because you want to record it, and so you can. A use it for articles and books and things like that. But also right. sometimes you take up that picture to somebody, you know, like a Rick Haefley, who's an aquatic entomologist by profession, and ask him questions. And uh, you know, over the years, he's just been a great source of, uh, of uh, information and discussion. You know, we get into some pretty deep rabbit holes on bugs, mm. who, you know, really don't have don't make you a better fisherman, but it's a sure fascinating world these, yep. these insects, you know, these invertebrates have evolved into, right, and how they've adapted to life on this planet.
0: Well, that's something uh, I find interesting, too, is talking to other anglers that are really passionate, and like you say, you go into a rabbit hole on, say, chironomids or whatever, and you just go, and, and you kind of start running theories by each other, and to me, I think there's, I see that a lot in the stillwater community.
1: Yeah. Well, it, and it's, you know, there's so much been written about moving water fishing, and not as much mm-hmm. stillwater stuff, at least in North America. There's some, you know, I've got, you know, if I see a book out of England or I've got a couple of, one out of uh, Australia, you know, I'm, I'm on it. I'm buying it because mm. we're all trying to solve the same problem. And sometimes a different continent deals with it a different way. And it's like yeah. a light bulb moment. It's like, holy smokes, what a simple way to do things, right? Um, or what a better way, right? And it was funny because when I did the, at Rick actually, um, edited and reviewed the entomology chapter in my new book that's coming out and you know we were having some great discussions on you know how an insect's circulatory system is different than its respiratory system it's not like connected like way ours is mm. so you know why are blood why are some bloodworm red and the ability to take an ion and uh, we're way down this rabbit hole on you know, hemolith, which is insect blood and all this stuff, right? And, you know, Rick was there to, okay, Phil, come back. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was writing that chapter. I wanted to give it uh, a chapter that the layperson could hopefully understand. Most of it's in bullet points, broken down. How big is the bug? How does what behavior? How does it move? You know, does it crawl, swim? How does it emerge? Um, You know, what size is, what shape is it, and the colorations it comes in. Just simple, you know, but still provide a little bit of, because it's a slippery slope, because there's, you know, Patrick McCafferty wrote a book on aquatic entomology, university-style text that's an inch and a half thick, right. right, or an inch thick, and and you could really, I could disappear off in a week, never come back, so
2: well, it's,
0: Phil, it's
1: that's, always
2: a
0: that, that, Sorry, that's a perfect segue in, into your new book. Now, we're, we're timing this to coincide with the release, so it's coming out May 1st, The Orvis mm-hmm. Guide to Stillwater Trout Fishing. I'm really excited about this book because there's, um, there's not, I mean, there's a few books out there on still waters, but not, not a lot, to be honest, or at least, uh, you know, compared to everything else. Talk to us about what we're going to find in this book.
1: Cure for insomnia? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh no, it was, and, and that thought book, that book's got, It's a, I'll
2: start with the story of how it came to be. So we, we yeah.
1: talked about shows and, you know, I get the, the good fortune to speak on the, there's a, a show that tours through the states called the Fly Fishing Show, mm-hmm. and I'm fortunate enough to be the sort of weird little late guy on the on the show circuit, right? So um, I was, and they have an author's booth. So if you're an author, um, they've got a little bookstore set up, and you would sit at this table, and it's a great as a speaker. It's a great rest area because you're walking around all day long, and your back's killing you, and your feet are sore, and your legs are throbbing. So it's nice to sit down. And I sat down with Tom Rosenbauer. Hmm. And uh, who's with Orvis. And um, he, you know, and I'd had I filmed a couple of television shows with, with Tom. and got to know him. And, you know, it was good to see a friend and just catch up. And he talked about that community. And then he just says to me, he says, you know what, Phil? We need to do a Stillwater book. And I think you'd be the guy to do it. So... That's great. That's flattering. And but a lot of times it shows. there's Lots of discussions that take place, but never really wow. amount to. You know, people take off and go the separate ways. And yeah. so anyway, it led to a phone call, which led to a contract, which led to me committing to something, and then realizing, holy crap, this is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh it's, um, it's. I think the publisher was expecting around seventy-five to eighty thousand words. And I gave him a hundred and ten.
2: Hmm.
1: <laughs> and close to 300 pictures and, and diagrams, and and you know, people with a book. There's there's boundaries. There's only so much cost that publishers prepare to absorb on a right. on a flyer, if you will. Sure. Um, so I could have put way more pictures in it. I could probably done more writing on it, but um, but I covered everything from um, you know, why you'd want to fish lakes, some of the benefits of fishing lakes, uh, and then take, you know, talk about, cause I see a lot in like seminars and, talks and things like that of people who are laddering over from rivers and streams and want to sample this lake stuff right They're mm-hmm. you know maybe they don't want to walk up and down a river anymore maybe they're drawn to the, you know generally i always joke our fish and lakes are measured in pounds not inches yeah. um it's that true. doesn't make them any smaller or bigger but they're just a different weight scale yeah. um and um so that i did obviously equipment fly uh, fly rods and reels in one chapter, all the other bits and doodads from landing nets to kit bags and all the stuff that goes in it mm-hmm. leaders and knots thinking line techniques, attractor techniques um, floating line techniques subsurface like indicators and strike indi- uh, and long leader stuff that's seven thousand seventy five hundred words that chapter I think came out Wow um, any fill fact-
0: any cool- Phil Roly indicators in there?
1: Oh, there's a few scattered in
0: <laughs> I, I just got some in the mail the other day oh good <laughs> in, in, in uh, orange hey what's your go we'll get back to what's your go-to color in in indicators
1: i don't really have one really? um you know in indicator questions everybody's looking for the silver bullet when it comes to indicators and there isn't one like i still use indicators you might find it's hard to basically a balloon a plastic balloon so it's a little more less wind um prone uh, you know to get affected by the wind because when you're fishing in 50 to 60 mile an hour winds <laughs> down in argentina it's oh, uh, you know yeah but uh, the pros far outweigh the cons down there as far as fish side
0: so it sounds like um, you're covering everything in this
1: part. everything um yeah attractors dries um i actually had to drop a chapter out on etiquette just wasn't enough space for it right? yeah, that's
0: Which, a good topic too I, yeah. I that comes up a lot actually on the show
1: and, um, well, maybe i make an article that it wasn't the longest chapter in the world because my, you know, my basic thoughts are on etiquette is, you know, there's a sort of a code of practice. And rather than becoming, trying to become a, a place of enforcement, maybe a place of education is a better approach to dealing with it because some people just don't know they've sort, sort of. of done something they shouldn't have, right? Yeah. So, you yeah. know, like readying your boat at the dock while there's a lineup, right? Um, you know, I've been on rivers like the Missouri River and there's some guy going down there, on a recreational trip, and there's eight guys behind him, and he's readying his boat. He's going to get his ear chewed off. Right? Yeah, they're they're not putting. They've got clients and uh, businesses to run, or, or well, how, all that stuff. How many
0: times have you seen somebody go and kind of drop an anchor right where someone's casting an indicator?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I've had uh, people you know sitting. Um, you know, you're 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 catching fish, and I go to make a back cast, and there's a float tube within a rod length of my boat going by. Yeah. Sorry. I was like, uh, what are you
2: doing?
1: (laughs) And I'm more polite. Like, it's probably not safe for you to be there because I don't expect you to be there because when I anchored, nobody was there. Yeah, And you're going to wear wear something, right? You're going to get, I want my flies back. Get them out of your ears.
0: I find that's a double-edged sword too. It's nice to have your space out there, but sometimes it is nice to have kind of a community of people out there and you can kind of say, hey, what are you using? And kind of yeah, bounce things off each that's, other.
1: That's the fun part of it. I think if you, again, if it's common sense, if, you know, we've all, you've been, I've been on those lakes where you, you need to go to the other part of the lake and there's a, it looks like a minefield of boats, Right. So you've just got to, you know, politely navigate your way through and around and explain. You're just coming through and I'm going behind and sorry. And, and just be humble about the whole thing rather than just stand on the bow and <laughs> motor through proudly, right?
0: Well, it's not um, like fishing the vetter back in the day when you first started
1: <laughs> No, you, know, you got to bring your own rock.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, no the books, I threw everything I could think of. Uh, fly patterns are in there. Mm-hmm. As far as my thoughts on stillwater flies and um you know a bunch of my favorite, fl- you know, flies I use more often than others. Uh, what else? Leaders, knots, rods. I'm sure I'm forgetting something.
0: What about vessels uh, as far as uh, boats? Yeah, I did a
1: whole chapter on watercraft. Okay. Um boats, pontoon boats, float tubes, how to anchor them, um how to Single anchor, a float tube, pontoon boats. Uh, Yep, I know all of that.
0: I know you're a big marlin guy. Talk to me. Talk to me. Why you like their boats so much?
1: Um, To me, they're the best small stillwater boat I've owned, and I've owned a few, and I still have a total of seven. (laughs) I think it's seven. I got two. No, five. Sorry five boats, I've got three pontoon boats, and I've still got my first float tube that's stored away somewhere. I'm, hmm. I'm a bit of a hoarder when it comes to fishing gear. Oh,
2: else can, I, I
1: have no loyalty to.
2: I get but, that.
1: Uh, yeah, but uh, just I guess maybe the memories or the chance that you may use it again. Hmm. Um, but uh, got introduced to those uh, about three years ago, and to me, i just super impressed with how they're built they're quite robust they're you know they're well-made I've got the SP 14 because I also do guiding and instruction out of them so it's just nice to have room to have people um, you know I've also got a 17 foot uh, G3 with a 40 on the back right. um, you know our mutual friend mr. Chan got me hooked on that boat um, and I tend to use that for the Big Lakes now where I am where if you know weather comes up I need to get out of there fast I can um, but this Marlin for a small, you know, trout boat, mm-hmm. lightweight, you know, sturdy, wide, it's only a half an inch narrower than my 17.
0: It's amazing so that, how wide yeah. those things are. And like, it, there's really been an evolution. Hey, wouldn't you say in the yeah. past, I don't know, say five years? Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's it, I remember when, remember when the, you know, we went from the belly boats and then we got into the pontoon boats and then, you know, it seems like a new yeah. phase now, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I went through the whole, you know, a float tube was um, affordable. You could throw it in the trunk of your car. You go to, uh, you know, Canadian Tire and get a battery-operated, um, you know, cigarette lighter operated air pump, and you pump the thing up, and off you go, and, you know, portable. You know, bathroom yeah. was a little bit of an issue. <laughs> um, and just the stuff you tend to accrue over time as a fly fisher, just running out of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and just your, your leg-powered, which is good, right, because you don't need a motor, but some days it's tiring, it's cold if the temperatures are down, and I just found with a float tube, um, you were low to the water, and as I really started to get hooked on coronamid fishing, I just couldn't, you know, with an indicator it was hard to see takes, but even to see takes on a floating line, you know, you're just watching for a line to straighten or veer off left or right, mm-hmm. your perspective, you're almost on the same level as it, so it's very hard to see. Yeah. Um, so and then you get into Boat, my first, I still got my first boat. It's a harbor craft. that's that nine-foot-five. Oh, that yeah. Really, that, I think?
0: that was a nice boat. I know
1: that boat. It was a super boat, and I still once in a while might uh, throw that in the back of the truck, but uh, it's the same age as my oldest son, Brandon. It's 28 years old, and it's never leaked <laughs> because, you know, one of the important things with a boat is, is putting that floor, flooring system into, you know, not only, you know, with a carpeted floor to protect your um, fly lines and, and those kind of things. But uh, also it just disperses your weight all over the boat. So in a riveted boat, you're not what I call oil canning it, you know, when you move around and mm-hmm. you just – because the water isn't hard like the ground. Um, it's So it moves a little bit and it shifts. So every time you step, that, that aluminum will rock, and eventually it starts to wear around the rivets and then it starts leaking. And right. next thing you know, J.B. Weld stocks are way up every <laughs> Yeah. Fixing it with you know, so um but that's where, you know, that to me that Marlin was uh you know, it's clean lines too. So as you know with a fly line it, it can get places that you would spend ten years trying to get to in under a second. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in cracks and around things. So it's um okay. you know, I I use it with Lakes I am in Alberta, most of them and in the prairies are electric motors only, the smaller trout lakes. So
2: um,
1: it goes well with that. But uh, I was doing some filming for the new fly fisher in northern Saskatchewan. Um, this fall and i put my 15 horse yamaha that boat on a you know a nice a relatively calm day will do 21 miles an hour with a 15 on it wow and i think it's rated to a 20 which sort of got me a little nervous of what that might be like right just like my 17 yamaha I'll take a 70 on it which yeah. is kind of wonder what yeah. we could do with that <laughs> um, but,
0: well it, yeah. it amazes me how wide those boats are and how yep. stable they are to stand and cast and Getting that leverage on your casting and that visibility as far as seeing cruising fish and and spotting your yeah,
1: and and as the guide and instructor, it's safety too because I get lots of people that's their first time on a lake or they haven't been on it too much, so they're. They don't right. really have what we we'll call their sea legs around, and mm-hmm. that boat's so stable. I always joke, the only way you're falling out is you were pushed, right? So, well,
0: wow. and taking photos, so you want to lean over yep. and take a pic. That's yeah, what... two
1: people can, yeah, two people can lean over, and there's no risk of everything slipping. You know, I used to have a 1436 John boat, which I still have, mm-hmm. and... You know that was stable, but compared to the Marlin, if I get in that now, it's like standing on a you know a, yeah. being on ice skates for the first time. It's just not a comfortable feeling. And if two people lean over, you got to be careful because of the low side, the low uh, the gunnels. You'll take a gulp of water, right? And,
2: mm-hmm. and that's yep. not
1: good. Um, yeah. So it's and mine the the distributor I got it from they put a wrap on it of you know, a close-up of... So I've got rainbow trout spots all around it.
2: (laughs) I saw that. I nicknamed
1: the boat trout spot, so it's distinctive. People know when I'm around.
2: Yeah. Right, And
1: I always encourage people, look, if you see me, like I've talked to people in seminars and Mm -hmm. things like that, look, if you see me on the water, come over and say hi. I'd much rather talk to you like you and I are talking than screaming at what's going on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure.
0: As
1: long as I got 50 to 75 feet sort of straight out in front, I'm happy.
0: And you always have that 70 horse you can just... (laughs) yeah we're out of here (laughs) (laughs) in the
1: case of the marlin the 15 but uh, yeah um, yeah. Yeah.
0: sorry i get my beautiful boat um that wrap looks pretty sharp i've seen i've seen some pics there of it um i forget where i was looking at that maybe on your website or something but
1: yeah it just gets around it's been on pictures there's a few of them scattered throughout the book and the other thing i'll say about that boat for Mm -hmm. lock style and i did a chapter on that too um, very popular technique in europe where you're You're fishing, you're drifting, but you're using um, basically a drogue or a sea anchor, an underwater parachute, if you will, that slows and controls your drift, and it's just a deadly way to cover water, and you're still casting and retrieving, and you're always fishing downwind, fishing, you know, to fresh fish. They haven't, you know, you haven't drifted over them like we're paddled over them or motored over them like you would if you were trolling yeah. um and it's 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 a lot of fun i enjoy it i, I every time i do it i kind do this more so it's, mm. it's a great way if you you know if your anchoring doesn't work or you've got a i'm thinking like a white lake you've got that massive shoal yeah. uh near salmon arm for those who don't know where that is in British columbia and fish could be anywhere with a with a drogue you put this out and you can drift the whole shoal you know have the opportunity to cover all those fish and of course if you find a concentration then you could come back around and, and perhaps uh, have a more stationary approach to them until they finally have enough of you playing with them and move off.
0: So you got it sounds like you got a big chapter in this in this new Orvis book on on the craft on the line on the flies uh, yeah. what, what about insects do you get pretty heavy into the entomology? On yeah this one? that's
1: the next heaviest chapter um, I did a lot. So like I said, I had Rick Haefley help me sort mm-hmm. of thin through that. So I'm talking about, obviously, all the different food sources from cronimates, scuds, three species of mayflies. I talked about hexagena, canis, the white-winged curse, um, calabatus. Um, talked about caddis, snails, ant, terrestrials, ants, beetles, minnows, um, and baitfish. Um, hmm. Coronaviruses, of course. I think I might have mentioned that scuds, leeches, crayfish. I mentioned um, zooplankton. I even mentioned krabs. Are
0: are you a big fisher of blobs? And you know when um, when it comes to trying to Im- imitate plankton or or uh, copepods or just smaller food sources?
1: Is this going to haunt me for the rest of my life? Uh,
0: uh, you can deny it, or I can just edit. <laughs> I can edit it out. I don't know.
1: Yes, yeah, so I use them a lot, um, yeah. and that's again. You know, in England, uh, in the U.K., that's how they deal with their Daphnia feeders is playing the color card, right? So using flies that have a touch of whatever color zooplankton they're feeding on, you know, because they can be kind of a chartreusey green, they can be mm-hmm. pinky red, they yep. can be orange um, and match that. So, yeah, hanging blobs under indicators and fishing them like chironomids, you know, in Alberta and other places outside of British Columbia, you can use two flies, Um and and one of the best, you know, the, the last thing you want when you fish two flies is to catch two fish. Right? That's just not fun, right? <laughs> it's expensive well, on flies. And I,
0: I kind of like it when it happens, the rare time. I like, yeah, I'm like. i not going to say it's,
1: it's, it's kind of fun and comical, but it's yeah. usually not, it doesn't end well no. uh, for you as the angler. It's usually everything, you have to rebuild your old leaders, fish yeah. destroy them. Um, but that's one of the purposes of a two-fly system is one of the flies serves as an attractor. Sure. right so fish will be pulled in because they're you know they're curious that's one of the reasons you know not every time a fish takes our fly is it feeding right it's curiosity territoriality aggression um you mm-hmm. know it's just as long as they open their mouth we're happy right <laughs> put their mouth around it so i always say that that attractor fly is a bit like a you know that bruising fullback in a football team that always punches holes for the feature back to run through and get all the accolades right and then they take him out or he's injured and all of a sudden that guy can't run anymore And it's the same kind of analogy you know you maybe have that attractor fly on and are having a great day, and all of a sudden you say, Well, why do I need this other fly? And I'm just going to cut it off because it could tangle and it's just not doing the job. And all of a sudden it stops, right? Because mm. the fish aren't do seeing that attractor anymore and being pulled in. So, Phil, do you
0: to, do you wait those when you're tying blobs for yes, yourself? Yes, I
1: do. I, I'm um, because the materials they're tied out of, the fritzes are synthetic mm-hmm. and sort of lightweight if you will yeah. there and there's trouble with any fly like that that has a let's say an element of buoyancy to it so we talk about blobs uh, boobies with their foam eyeballs uh, fabs with their split foam tails these are flies that you can lose connection with right and when and what i mean by that is there's some kind of slackness if you will in the in the setup and when the trout samples it and feels no resistance it's inclined to try and swallow it and that's where they run into the deep hooking, hmm. right? And uh, so I weight them for that reason. When, when I'm fishing them on a dropper, I might only have, you know, typically I'll fish droppers six to seven, maybe eight inches long, depending. You know, Some days I could tangle a one-inch dropper, and other days I could have a four-foot dropper and it wouldn't tangle. Um, but I want to keep them on a short leash, if you will, if I'm fishing them off droppers, and I like to have a tungsten bead on them. So when they hang, they hang straight down and tight. So if a fish samples them I takes them, I'm on them right away. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've had, you know, I was, I've had a couple of fish that I were, you know, just the question always was with boobies, you know, the risk is they can take them deep. How does that happen? And uh, I just started thinking of times I had fish hooked deeply and, and what the common denominator was. And I had had fish hooked deeply. I was in the Canadian fly fishing championships in 2007 and fishing, in a, my fly line got all tangled up on the cast. So I'm, mucking around with that trying to untangle it and of course my flies out there just sinking and sinking and i eventually got the fly line figured out um, get it back on the reel a little bit start stripping it to cast because you know i basically almost drifted over the the the, uh, the line as we were because it's all lock style competition stuff and as soon as i got tight to the, to the line boom i had a fish on and i was fishing um you know a team of flies but they were all like a halfback and a leech and nothing buoyant in any of them right and i get this fishing and he's got that halfback way down his throat and i had to cut mm. it out and that's because that fly was just falling through the water loose right. no tension on it fish comes up puts his mouth on it swallows it um <clears throat> i fished a uh, boat you yeah, know I've, I've had it fishing like a boatman backswimmer uh fall where i cast to a rise and i had a fish rise just to the right of where i thought my fly had landed and uh you know you just bemoan that the uh the fish is um You know, taking a natural right beside yours. How insulting is that? And then, so I strip into cast again, I've got the fish. And what had happened is my leader had, as it laid out, the last two feet of it sort of did a a hook around, like a J, and landed. So when that fish came up and sampled the fly and took it, I didn't think I had a take, so I didn't react.
2: Right. Right,
1: And because it's under slack, he swallowed it. Right, I pulled him in. Ooh, you know, and I had to unfold. You know, you don't want to do more damage after that, so I had to cut the fly out. And hopefully, sure. it'll work its that, way out. That right? makes so, a lot of
0: sense with that, yeah. you know, lack of resistance. Yeah, yeah,
1: because think... you know, I, I've seen lots of people say, "Oh, they just hit him so hard and all that stuff," and I'm thinking, "Well, there's a blob hanging there, motionless. They sure didn't hit that hard, but man, he sucked that thing in like it was mm-hmm. you no know, tomorrow." And that's because it's just sort of suspending in space a little bit, right, because yeah, of the materials. So.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's revolutionized a lot of uh, still water, that, yeah. that particular pattern to the blob. I don't know. Like I, I think I struggled with it for a while, but um, I, I I warmed up to it last year thinking, why didn't I do this sooner?
1: It's fun. And they're also a pattern you can take off the floating line setup and put it on a glitter immediate type 3, type 7 and strip them. And they work equally well then.
0: Cool. I have not tried that. I, I keep hearing yeah. that, so I'll have to give that a go. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, where can we get this book? What's the best way to get our hands now as we're airing this, um, it's released. So where do we find it?
1: It's up for pre-sale now on, uh, places like Amazon, Barnes and Noble in the States. Um, but the best place is, uh, mine and Brian's Stillwater Fly Fishing Store. Um, and I say that because every book we sell through our online store, the StillwaterFlyFishingStore.com, <laughs> pretty original name, hey Mark? I like it. Um, is uh, autographed, so I've just started opening it up for pre-orders now. So people are starting to buy it um, off there, and it'll be available. Obviously, once it it comes out, um, it'll be up there, you know, for perpetuity. Because you know, the two books you mentioned in the intro are my fly patterns for Stillwaters. Um, I believe there's no more left; it's done. Hmm. And um,
0: so we don't want to miss the water, window on this one.
1: Yeah, and then the Stillwater Selections book. I think I have the last forty-eight, okay. and then it's it's done. And, um, so I thought about, um, particularly with the fly patterns for Still Waters because the, the book, you know, was quite successful, which is what I wanted it to, to be to help people. Cause there wasn't a lot of lake, specific lake fly pattern books out 20 some odd years ago when it first came out. Right. And, um, you know, with the publisher, I can eventually, you know, I can purchase the rights and get it back and, and republish it. But I'm thinking so much has changed in 20 years. You know, I still fish a lot of the patterns, the chromie, A lot of my flies in there still fish as well today as they did years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, you know, there's a lot of change. You talk about the blobs, some of these blended-thread chronomid bodies, and, you know, my tying's changed as well. I do different things now, and it's maybe time for a new one, but... I'm still in recovery mode from writing this this one that took almost three years.
0: I'm curious how you kind of divide your resources. So like, I mean, I'm sure writing takes a lot of time, you know, when you're on, on these um, tours doing um, talks, you know, at fly fishing shows and and whatnot. And I know with COVID things are probably a little different, but Mm -hmm. how do you choose where to, you know, do you plan your whole year out in advance, Phil, normally?
1: Um, it's a lot of planning and organizing to keep all those plates happy because I also have, I do the marketing communications for Trout Unlimited Canada too.
2: So that's
1: another, another one on there as well. And, um, but, you know, I work from home, so I have the freedom to, you know, with the Internet nowadays, all you need is McDonald's and a Wi-Fi connection. Um, <laughs> I have I have updated the Trout Unlimited Canada site from the uh, McDonald's in Helena, Montana, on my way down to West Yellowstone. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, so, anyway, um, but, yeah, there's a lot of planning. I'm a big, you know, to-do list calendar appointments because… Yeah. Yeah. As I get older, my memory gets worse, and uh, I just don't want to let anybody down or forget something right so um and you know I'm driven by working to that um to that you know writing a book was for me it's a lot of headspace I've got to be in the right space to do it you know I've talked to every other author I ever speak to um I always ask them how they what's their writing process like? And mm-hmm. and some would be, you know, they get up at, uh, you know, they're in their office at eight o'clock and they write from eight till 10 a.m. every morning. And I tried that for a while, but I also like to knock some emails out of the way and get that kind of stuff. And some days you have a heavy email day and I'm not in a creative writing space, right? Yeah. It, it, it would be written like an email, shortened to the point with bullets. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, with attachments for the images. Um, and then so it's it it's you know there was times and then once i start writing sometimes it's like a floodgate it just comes and then you just got to ride that wave until cuz you don't want to stop in the midstream um mm-hmm. when you've got some good good you know things are all the little thoughts in your head are actually coming out in a in sentences and phrases that will actually work
0: yeah right you got to like be you got to be in the zone right
1: it is and some days it was hard you know because you know, the the publisher was very, very patient with me because there was days that you know there was weeks that I just couldn't. You know, I would do other things on the book, but the actual writing, you know, I take pictures of flies or there's always something else to do. But mm-hmm. um, you know, just the, I just wasn't in a creative headspace to do it. And then on one day I was, and then it would go yeah. six hours, right? So
0: yeah, that's a mysterious kind of thing. And I've talked to yeah. a lot of writers that say the very same thing. Um, something yeah. that I I think is kind of cool that you're up to these days and. Of course, with a lot of the shows not going ahead, we're all looking for our you know, our Stillwater fix. And I, I, know, I know this because I just signed up and just started doing it, but your Stillwater Fly Fishing Academy that you're doing with yep. Jordan. Why don't you talk to us about that a little bit and what that's yeah, all that's,
1: about? Yeah, that's something. The concept of online learning has been in my head for 25 years at least, but the technology wasn't there. Right, this was before YouTube. This was before any of that stuff. So, you know, because you would I would often get asked when I did presentations, is this available somewhere? I would like can I have a copy of this and is this in a book? Which I think I've addressed that now, but and also you know, when I do, on I go on and speak at these shows. I often would spend a day or two, if my schedule allowed, to fish some of the local waters. It just helped the next time I was down there. I could relate the things I was talking about to waters they were familiar with. Um, because sometimes it's always this: Well, does that work in Idaho? Of course it works in Idaho. Right? It works in British mm-hmm. Columbia. It works in Saskatchewan. It works in Mexico. It works, yeah. <laughs> fish or fish, right? They don't. They don't have any sort of geographical bias that way. Um, but. Um, Yeah, so I I just wanted a way to be able to – another way for people to reach out and learn, right? And when the pandemic hit and shows shut down, we all – you know, the buzzword was pivot, right? And it just gave the perfect opportunity, and fortuitously or ironically, uh, Jordan and I were at the Pleasanton, California show, and we're sitting down, you know, sort of after hours and and talking. and We were both similar minds in education, and we sort of came to the consensus instead of potentially – competing against each other and fighting. Why don't we, you know, synergy two and two is five, right? So come together, and we've been working on that. And and March, I think we did a um, 21-day Stillwater program on a flyer. We just sort of, with Zoom, we're doing it in Zoom, and we'll have some kind of sign-up. And we had close to 100 people sign-up. And we did 21 straight days of um, Stillwater fly fishing from... um, you know, gear right through to different presentation techniques, retrieves, all that kind of stuff, and uh, it was successful, so we thought, well, let's keep going with that, so we've now got a more formalized academy, we've got uh, software that um, helps us manage that and get the word out, and, and... you know, handles payments and all that kind of thing, but also provides platform for, because we're going to have courses that are kind of live interactive courses. Right. And uh, sort of evergreen courses that you can take at your at your leisure.
2: Right? Well,
0: that's what I liked about the Stillwater one. So it's like you say, sometimes you don't have, you can't commit to sit down for three hours, but mm-hmm. you can do it a chapter at a time. I'm doing that yep. uh, trophy, the trophy Stillwater Trout one on the yep. uh, Mastering Chronomids And, I mean, I've been at this a long time, probably 35 years, but I learn stuff every time, and it's like, you know, picking up a book is great, but it's nice to see it explained sometimes too.
1: Well, and we all learn differently, right? And sometimes it makes sense to read it in a book or see a picture of it, or... um, and other times it's, you need to see it uh, visually. You need to see a video of a retrieve. Yeah. Like, how, how are you moving? Those? It's okay to see stop motion kind of thing, but sometimes you want to see just how the whole cadence and how, the, how, the, how that retrieve, for example, works. Right? Yeah. So there's just um, different ways, and it's, it's, it just allows us to reach um, the world, basically.
0: I was enjoying Jordan's diagrams mostly
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah they, he's an artist gonna use the chalk the whiteboard on uh um on zoom yeah, yeah. I, I i defer to him to him because you know i can't draw on a white piece of paper with a pencil so
2: yeah the thought you. of
1: doing it virtually with a mouse just like no it's not going to work I'll, I'll make a diagram where my youngest son sean he's a Artist type. He did all the um, graphics for my book, so I just get him to make one. and I would just bring it up like that.
0: <laughs> so what's what's on the uh, what's on the menu this season? So I mean, water's going to start opening up yep. pretty darn quick in your neck of the woods.
1: Yeah, I hope so. It's actually, you know, believe it or not, in central Alberta, it's above zero right now. Um, streets are almost bare. Uh, we've had, you know, nine degree Celsius temperatures. So what's that fairly? Double it and add 30, so 48, 50 degrees. So that's yeah. been nice. We're all waiting for the March. The, every year on spring break, we always used to get a heavy dump of snow just for Mother Nature to flex her muscles to remind her who's in charge. Find us yeah. who's in charge. Um, but, yeah, we'll start getting out on the water. Um, I've got some still water courses lined up. I'm, they're on the fence because of the whole pandemic restrictions and things like that, but they're sold out, so I'm fingers crossed for those to go in May and June at Corbett Lake. I'm doing another event at Lone Butte Sports
2: nice.
1: uh, up on Highway 24. Yeah, we've had Caribou Mark region. on here. Yeah, in the Caribou region. Um, what else? Obviously the book's coming out, the online learning, still filming television shows here and there.
0: What about um, the app? What's going on with Stillwater's The app Watters is app. still
1: going. We've got that, you know, we're the challenge with the pandemic was Brian and I to get together to to film content for it. So we've, we've found a few workarounds for that, and I've got to finish off a tip I've got to do. But we that's still going strong. That's still been well-received. Um, people enjoy that handheld resource we created. And, again, it was all about the learning. I just remember the struggles that I talked about earlier about the frustrations. You know, I had no delusions. I was going to vacuum out the lake for fish, but it would just be nice to get... The, take or something once in a while some some belief you were doing something right when you were first learning out so um so you'd come back to the sport because it's such a great sport right yeah so
0: where where do you think we're at in fly fishing right now as far as like it seems like we're in a pretty darn good place
1: i think so um you know from the equipment we have at our disposal <clears throat> you know the uh, especially in still waters where we've got so many line options if we just looked at fly line alone right um oh man you know, i
0: that confuses the heck out of me. There's so much yeah. to know.
1: Well, I've got a, a um, you know, I started doing, as you probably know, those uh, lake talk events on what? Facebook Live and YouTube as well. And I try to do those every fourth Thursday uh, on some subject. And I'm, I'm going to have, do a whole one on fly lines for lakes because it is a, a bit of a, a shock. You know, there's a critical path. It's probably, you know, if you fish lakes, if you've got a floating line that you can cast indicators along leaders with, uh, probably a clear intermediate, some kind of slow sinker or something fast. It'll cover you the west of the way, but it's like golf clubs. You start to round them out and fill in the holes because each line has its own little niche and little application. And yeah. We're a pretty paranoid bunch, so if we see another person with that line doing really well, we want one. I would buy one right <laughs> then and there. <laughs> it's like a golf course. Somebody came by, fly lines. <laughs> you probably buy one right.
0: <laughs> do you do a lot of countdowns when you fish?
1: Oh, yeah, all the time. I call it the rule of 12s um, critical because, um, you know, that's the thing with with sinking lines is once you hook a fish or you're, you're being systematic, you're trying to search the water from mm. sort of top to bottom. So, you know, you know, the, the rule of 12s, and again, this is in the book, It's it's predicated on 12 inches per foot. So if you take the sink rate of your line and divide it into 12, that'll tell you how long that line will take to sink. Um, a, sec- um, a foot. So right. a type 3 line at 3 inches per second into 12, that's going to take 4 seconds to go a foot. I want to go 10 feet down, 10 times 4 is 40. And it's an approximate,
2: mm-hmm. right? But at
1: least you've got a place to start because water density is always in fluctuation depending on temperature, so things don't always sink at that exact rate. But you know the that's a much better system to count it down and work your way through it. Um, to target depths as opposed to well, I had a bite of a sandwich. I put that fly back in my box. Uh, I I did the bad thing and answered a text. Oh, I got a fish. That's a tough system to duplicate. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> or, my system. Well, it used to be mine for many years too, right? Just chuck and chance, right? But uh, you know, once and once you get them dialed in, it's 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 um, yeah. You know, you're you're because depth to me is the number one thing still water fishing.
0: Is that something you do a lot when you're fishing competitively, like for Team Canada or in just uh, competitive fly fishing events?
1: Yeah, when I did that, there was, you know, you, you know, you're under pressure to do well. Your pride's on the line, right? Hmm. Um, especially if you're perceived to be, um, you know, somebody that knows what they're doing and you don't <laughs> do well. It's, uh, you know, uh, life can give you a bloody nose at any moment. Yeah. Um so yeah, you've got to be systematic and, and figure these things out and, and um hmm. it just carries over and I'm sorta of, I always joke it's you know, people say, Where'd you come up with that? and I it's the the you know, the, the common S word for crab. Uh I think about while staring at an indicator, right? So people, Where'd you come up with that? Well, just you know, your brain your mind wandering, I always like, Why think why did why did that happen? Yeah. Right? Like, why did that fish take that fly so deeply? Yeah. It wasn't foam. Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> right? It shouldn't have happened, right? And you start to think about what went on, and all of a sudden these theories become, start to bear out as being more fact than theory, right? So, what,
0: If you could pick one thing that single-handedly improved your fly fishing overnight, what would it be?
1: Hmm. Wow.
0: Would it be, like, Definitely. depth? or? Uh... Yeah,
1: for still water fishing... Well, first of all, hanging out with mentors, so becoming mm. friends with people like Brian Chan was good. <laughs> Brian yeah. and I have had a long friendship for many years because we found out we had other things in common, you know, wives, yeah. families, both like sports, dogs, those kind of things. Um, but, um, yeah, for me, and I use you know, when people, you know, we go back earlier on, I said about the fly being the scapegoat, you know, when I'm not catching fish, and, and I use an analogy uh, called DRP which stands for depth retrieve pattern. So when you're not catching fish and you think you should be, you're in a likely looking spot. Others are catching fish rather than start. And these are all like, when I say this, they're like one A, one B, one C, they're all important, but I tend to go depth first, mm-hmm. then retrieve, then pattern. And most people that come to lakes. I find are you know, humans were not the most patient of people. Um, so, you know, we tend to, as soon as a fly fly hits the water, we're stripping it in, and we're stripping it in fast, right? Because when I learned to fish is we didn't have indicators. It was a floating line. Yeah. Leaders we made up with maximum with all these formulas, and they're 20, 25 feet long, and maxima was like, looks, now it looks to me like garden hose compared to the <laughs> tip of
2: juices we have
1: nowadays. Um, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of trial and error and learning to slow down, right? Like to really slow the retrieves down to to, to track those flies back and keep them at that natural pace. So depth is first, you know, and if you think about with a strike indicator, it's probably the easiest way. You've, you set it, let's say you're in 12 feet of water, you set it eight feet, you don't get anything. You set it 10 feet and boom, it goes down, put it back out there, it goes down, it goes down. That's because fish, their food sources are small. And although they have to eat every day, they're, it's all calories, you know, in and out. And a fish is not going to swim over a hundred yards and eat a coronamid when those, all they ever need is an inch or two in front of their nose. So right. depth is first. Am I moving my fly at the right pace, which is typically super slow, erratic, um, and then the fly. And quite often, if I'm in an area where I'm not catching fish, uh, and I believe I'm fishing the right depth and I'm got the right fly on something i've got confidence in. i'm not catching fish i move because there's probably nobody in the neighborhood because i for the most part if if you pick an area and start fishing it and doing those things right you usually get somebody to show up in 10 or 50 because they're their yeah. feet yeah. right they're not contrary to what some believe they're not swimming around your fly 47 times and on 48th time it goes by a little switch in their head flips and they lose their temper with it yeah. right they either eat it or they don't right?
0: No, that's well put. It it is. And that happens a lot too. When you go to, say you pick a new spot or you first head out, boom, 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 the action's there and then it kind of slows down. I often wonder.
1: They they, do move. Yeah. They will after a while. That's, that's one of the, the arguments for lock style, right? Because if you're in an anchored position, you wear your welcome out after a while. Like the fish. Yeah. Just become, gee, every time, Joey went in there, little Susie went in there, they're gone right yeah. there. Or they come back tired, like, ugh.
2: Stay
0: away my from mouth, Phil's my anchor mouth,
1: Yeah, My mouth's sore. I don't have any lunch left in me because mm. Phil pumped me. Um, you know, <laughs> ugh, it's just a horrible day. Uh, I could have put my head down in the water and say, at least you're still alive. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but they'll move. You know, I've had situations where they have moved off, and then you would see them. Um, sort of surface and roll again because particularly rainbows can be pretty showy in shallow water and then you move over and start catching them again and then they sort of tire of you and move away again whereas lock style again you're always presenting and running to you know fish over a greater area so there's no I'm a big believer in don't be a one-trick pony Uh, learn all the different techniques you can um, because each each method has its day or has its moment
2: Mm -hmm. the more you
1: know um, the better you're going to adapt to them, right? As opposed to if you only fish indicators and they're not taking anything under an indicator that day, they want it moving or they, you know, they're just, whatever the reasons are, and that's all you know, it's like, now what do you do, yeah. right?
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to your to your new book, uh, The Orvis Guide to Stillwater Trout Fishing. It's, well, pre-release now, you can get it right from Phil. Yep. Uh, but uh, you'll see it in stores as well, I'm sure, after May 1. Phil, thanks for doing this. I know you and I, you got to hop on another call pretty soon, and actually, I should throw this out there. If anyone listening wants to uh, jump, if you happen to have an iPhone and you're on Clubhouse, pop on over there and join us at, uh, it's usually, what's the night tonight? It's Thursday night at 7 Mountain. Um, Mm -hmm. Roger and, uh, well, Dave Stewart uh, have a, uh, and myself, it's a fly fishing Q&A, and you can... um, you know, Phil's Total on there. <laughs> yeah, No Holds Bards, and lots of experts uh, chiming in, lots to learn. So check it out. That's 7 o'clock Mountain uh, Thursday nights. Phil, thanks again, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll look forward to chatting a little more tonight, and I wish you a, a great season on the water. Before you before you head out, though, uh, throw a, throw me those uh, websites again where we can find your books. Oh,
1: where you can reach me, yes. Uh, my personal website's flycraftangling.com. Mm-hmm. The still the online Stillwater store I have with Brian is the StillwaterFlyfishingStore.com. The academy is StillwaterFlyfishingAcademy.com. Um, my personal email as well. If they want to reach out, I always try to answer them as fast as I can. is flycraft at Shaw.ca. Uh, The app is the Stillwater Fly Fishing app. If you search for that on either Google Play or through the Apple Store, um, you'll find it. It's a free download. Uh, Some of the content's free. Some of it is subscription-based as well. And uh, we try to put... Uh, frequently add new, there's close to 200 video tips up on there right now um, in a variety of subjects as well, so it's kind of an online resource, and once you download that content to your phone, you don't need Wi-Fi to access it, so you can be in a remote destination, and we've got video fly uh, fly tying videos on there as well, so you're stuck in the cabin on a rainy day, you can pop it up and use it to help tie some flies and hopefully catch some fish for you.
0: All right, thanks again, Phil. Have a great season on the water.
1: Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out to me to talk.
3: The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.